I think we were at the the KubeCon conference in uh, in Valencia and talking to folks and like we could we could help them out this open source project and I was like we could do this for tons of open source projects and it solves like three problems at once for us. Hi everyone, you're listening to Scaling Dev Tools, the show that investigates how Dev Tools go from zero to one. I'm joined today by Josh Furman, who is the founder of Ufizi, which is a preview environment for pull requests company. And I'm really excited today because Josh is doing some very interesting stuff that I've not seen anyone else do. Thanks so much for joining, Josh. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate you having me on. Could you tell us a bit about Ufizi and about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Ufizi is broadly in the environments as a service category. And so we're in the business of uh, preview environments or ephemeral environments. Those terms are effectively used synonymously, but uh, the ability to rapidly create a test environment for your full stack um, in response to a pull request to test there, iterate there, and then to completely take that away, um, hence the ephemeral nature of it, right? It's, it's short-lived. And so the, the problem we're solving is that the, the whole software community is using shared environments that creates a host of problems, which we can probably do- dive more into. But um, we solve those problems with these short-lived environments, um, helping developers, QA, even product folks be able to um, rapidly test, rapidly iterate, and um, and also not have to deal with a lot of the management headaches of, of, of environments that um, you know tend to happen over time. So... Um, that's what we do, and um, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's a really cool problem that you're digging into because I remember the first time we had uh, preview environments at one of the companies I worked at, and it's just such a game changer in terms of like making it so much easier for everyone to test it and try it out. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot, a lot of the, you know, what indicated for us like there was a market here is just talk, you know, you end up having hundreds of conversations and like pulling, gleaning a lot of insights um, in the space. And, um, you know, some of the worst things I've seen that teams have to do is uh, this one team had a, uh, they literally had a sign-up sheet. Like it was like an online sign-up sheet. It's like, Hey, when can I use like the, the quote unquote dev environment? And like, you have to block off the time. And so you have like, <laughs> that's like the worst I've seen is like, it's a, truly contested and like to the point where they're, they're actually like physically coordinating when people can use that. Um, other issues are, um, you know, I've seen developers who they're like kind of afraid to merge because uh, they're like afraid they might break the environment or put a bug in there and they'll get on a Zoom call and like do kind of a peer review, you know, with that person to make sure it's all good. Right. And so, and that's, and I would, I would, I do recommend pair programming. That's good to go. But like, um, that's not a great solution for the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, other things you see people VPN into other people's machines to try to check issues. And so um, that combined with, you know, on large organizations, you have kind of capacity issues, right? Capacity planning, you get into the enterprise and it's like, well, how many environments do we need? And they have sort of mushroom farms of environments that have been created. They were used like once and they keep running because no one told the DevOps guy to like tear it back down. Right. Um, and so, um, environments as a service or firm environments help with that problem too. And so, um, you know, bigger picture, it's like, Hey, what are the, like, what are the kind of existential problems we're trying to, to solve is I, I think everyone's trying to do more with, 
uh, less these days, right? We're kind of in this weird economic situation where uh, inflation's been high, interest rates are up, not really a full-blown recession, but you've seen a lot of layoffs. Um, you know, so uh, on the enterprise side, everyone's trying to get more agile and, and leaner, right? And so having the ability to have uh, as many environments as you need, when you need them, and only for as long as you need them is, is really helpful. It reduces your reliance on your DevOps folks who, um, you know, they've got higher level issues they need problems to solve. Um, and you also sort of empower your developers by giving them environments what they need, like without, you shouldn't have to wait, right? It's like, it's silly to be like, oh, we have this code freeze um, or or like even like this sort of fear that like, well, this this sprint's kind of done and we don't want to mess it up. So like, let's not push this thing, even though it's ready, because I'm like, af- I'm afraid to like commit it to my QA environment. And then like, I don't know, I may, I may delay my release, right? And, and of course, uh, certainly at the enterprise level, delayed releases, uh, they cost millions, right? I mean, it, at that kind of scale, like of, of missed revenue opportunities. So um, I, I just kind of went deep on the enterprise side. On the startup side, they have another existential problem is like, hey, I, I'm trying to get to um, my seed round or my series A or my series B. And like, am I going to have enough time to do that? And like, I've got to move faster. Uh, what can I do to get a competitive advantage, um, you know, to get the proof I need to get to the next round? Of course, the VC market has tightened up like considerably like in the last year. And so I, I think, um, you know, I certainly like I go back to um, uh when we were starting out, like I, I'll do anything for a competitive advantage. Like, I, I, you know, uh, I, I'm an athlete and like I do triathlons and like, I'm a sucker for anything. If I think something will give me like a 3% advantage or 1%, like I'll do it. Right. It's like, so if someone brings a tool to me and it's like, Hey, 20, 30, 40% improvements in release frequency, development velocity, like I will try that. Of course I'll try that. Like (laughs) it's a competitive market out here. Like why, why wouldn't we do that? So, um, we were helping teams do have those kind of numbers and and that's exciting for us. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point there that you've kind of touched on. And I guess like as a as a a triathlete, your time is the kind of principal thing that you're caring about. Right. And then is it like are you, when you're when you're thinking about like release speeds and that you know you can reach improve release speeds by 20%, like who are you consciously going after people that kind of really care about release speed as they're like, you know, their equivalent of a, a you know, a triathlon finishing time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, you really can't find a team that is, is going to say they don't, they don't care about uh, release frequency or development velocity. Where it's challenging is mo- most teams are simply not measuring those types of things. So then it becomes like, well, if I can't measure it, like how am I even going to know? Right. But, um, you know, Google had put out the door metrics. I think a lot of teams are doing that, which is the, the key metric there is release frequency as, as a measurement. Um, but there's there's other things you can measure. I mean, um, you know, number of merges per engineer over a period of time is, is a really good one. And then like, hey, what are the total number of issues like you can push through, um, you know, a, in any given time? And like the KPIs with these tend to be like lead time, cycle time and like code stability. Right. And, and different teams measure those in different ways. But, um, I, I do think, you know, release frequency or, or, or the, the, you know, for, for startups, it's about release frequency. Like, you know, we release like pretty much every day and, you know, we used to not do that. Frankly, 
So before we had our product, uh, we, you know, before we could use our own product, we had this, this traditional sort of, you know, QA that was sort of the unstable environment. Then we had a staging that was more stable. And then, and like we were releasing once a week and, um, eventually once we could use our own product, like we now release every day and we don't, we got rid of both the static environments. We just use our temporary environments and it's super fast, right? It's like the way I think about it is everything's a hot fix and like, it's okay in a startup because like, you know, you're trying to move fast and like it's your users still will accept like bugs that pop in, like, and you you can fix those fast too. So it's like your time to recovery is not, not such a big issue. And then, but on the, I'm going to like, I'm talking about two sides because there's, frankly, we have both customers. And so I think most people would tell you like, you need to pick one. And I generally believe that's true (laughs) as a startup founder, except that um, we we have both types of customers, both have found value in this. And so um, I'm now kind of more like, well, I'm going to try to just prove that fact. (laughs) But, but like on the enterprise side, like I'll, I'll use, you know, so Spotify's backstage team, uses Ufeezy. Um, we're spinning up 400 ephemeral environments for them a month. Uh, there's about 200 engineers who've used our service. And, um, you know, Backstage is huge, right? It's like 20,000 stars on GitHub, but it has a million end users, like 500 enterprises are using it. So those maintainers are under a tremendous amount of pressure to pack more features into every release. So they have a scheduled release cycle. So they do like kind of like a beta release. They call it a next release every week but their official releases go out once a month. It's like a Tuesday in the middle of the month, right? And so they're trying to get more issues packed into every release, you know, which is, that's a different way of maybe looking at it. It's not, the release frequency is set, but they're actually releasing more issues per release. And that, that matters to them, um, especially matters. So like, I, I don't know what Spotify's plan was, but you know, they open sourced about three years ago and it's gone so well. And maybe they planned this all along. I don't know. But, you know, they're, they're now monetizing. They, they basically sell subscription plugins to everyone who's using it. So, like, it's become a strategic project for them. And so, obviously, they care a lot about that. So, going faster is something that, um, you know, when I talked to, like, Ben Lambert's one of the, the um, senior engineers there and who we worked with to help basically implement their, uh, the Ufizi solution for them. And you can just get the sense that he, it's, man, there, there's a tremendous amount of pressure um, on them to, to just the volume. They, they're getting hundreds of contributions every month. So the core team, I think it's around 50 folks from Spotify, but there's about a thousand total contributors all time. But like in any given month, there's like uh, 150, 200 contributors, right? Opening pull requests. They're, they're, they're filtering through 400 pull requests a month. So that kind of volume, anything that saves them just a little bit of time, um, you know, basically faster PR reviews. When there are issues, it's a faster feedback loop because we're both talking about the same environment. Like, you know, hey, I looked at this, it's not quite right. Can you fix it? The person pushes to fix it's in the environment that's already sitting there uh, with the pull request. Yep, it's good to go. And now that thing gets merged faster than the alternative, which is you know, hey, either I'm like merging to a shared environment, testing it there, or I'm like pulling on my local machine. And, and um, you know, again, competitive advantage is everything. It's like, I would much rather have an environment that's there for this purpose right here in front of me than having to like go do some manual work to test the thing that, that needs to be tested. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And actually, like, that's a good segue onto um, onto Spotify backstage and like open source in general. Yeah. And I think something that's super interesting about how you've been doing go to market is y- you mentioned to me that you've been going specifically after these open, big open source projects and like helping them use Ufizi as a way to get customers. Yeah. And I've not seen many other companies do this, uh, especially at the early stage. Yeah, so you know, f- the way I look at it, like pretty much any startup has, y- you know, one you've got to get your beta community going, and that's really hard because uh, your product's really not quite there, and uh, you know, engineers are skeptical, right, of like trying anything that's not, you know, th- they know it's not quite ready. So you're trying to build a beta community because you need the feedback to make the product good enough that you can go kind of mass market. But you also need, you know, you need credibility. Like, who's using this? Well, no one at first, <laughs> right? And then, and then you also need visibility. Like, no one knows about you. And so, gosh, uh, I think we were at the the KubeCon conference in uh, in Valencia and talking to folks. And uh, we started talking to the backstage folks, and we're like, we could we could help them out this open source project. And I was like, we could do this for tons of open source projects. And it solves like three problems at once for us. And so um, so that's what we started doing and doing it very deliberately as really our go-to-market. And, and it absolutely has helped with those things. So, you know, gosh, at first it was like really painful because, you know, you know we, we had our own beta customers, of course, but like, um, you know, there's all types of applications out there. And our, our solution you define your app in Docker Compose, and like that's that's quite popular. But like how everyone's using it, like there's slight variabilities to it. And so, you know, the first like handful out the gate, like we couldn't we couldn't technically meet the needs of the project, and that was really like uh, it's it's frustrating because you think you're there, and you're like, hey, we're not there, guys. <laughs> so so then we we fixed the product to be more useful and more broadly useful, and once we did that, then we get more open source projects. And um, as we get more projects, like, you know, I, I think it's fair that to say that, like, the open source, the, these maintainers, they, they're the leaders in the industry, right? Like, um, they're out there working transparently, and they're doing things, um, you know, that are, frankly, the, the most advanced methods and kind of the best best practices, right, that the rest of the dev uh, community follows. So, um it's really helpful to have like that level of credibility, giving us that feedback and also validating us saying, Hey, this is a great product. Like, uh, you know, and we're and obviously they're using it now and, and getting a lot of benefit out of it. So I, I, you know, as a founder, that's one of the best, um, you know, signs you can get is like, Hey, this is, this is a really smart person or folks and, and they think the product is valuable. That, that's a really good sign to me that, that we're on to something here. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I mentioned the visibility piece, like it's all in the open, all the implementations are out there. Like, you know, we talked, you know, we're talking about how engineers are naturally skeptical and they should be. Um, but you can go look at all these repos and see, hey, this is exactly how it's set up. This is how it's integrated with GitHub Actions. This is the file that's being used to define the application for every ephemeral environment. And um, yeah, so like it's... It's been good for us. I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, and, you know, I, you know, when you can say, you know, you're supporting, I, I like that we're supporting a lot of, I call them usurpers. So um, like 
I prefer with belly search. Like it's awesome, like search tool, like built in rust. It's like lightning fast. Like, you know, Elasticsearch has been like the player for, for a pretty good while now. Like Melasearch is coming in and just crushing it, you know, <laughs> with, with a, with a really great tool. And, uh, we talked to those maintainers. They're like, they're like, yeah, we'd love to have, you know, ephemeral environments. And that's a, you know, it's, it's a CLI tool. It's a, we, we basically spin up their surf server and they run tests through a web terminal, which is just sort of one of the many uses, use cases for Ufeezy. But, you know, you've got them, you've got, uh, we support NoCodeDB, who is, is basically a open source Airtable, Airtable alternative, and they're crushing it. And they think this is great. <laughs> and then uh, one of our customers, Tilled, is like trying to take a little bit of the Stripe market on pay, you know, uh, monetizing payments. So, um, like supporting a new generation of builders is, is really exciting for us. And, you know, I think when people say like, now that these folks have ephemeral environments, they're just, they're not going back. <laughs> like if you, if you were to take it away, they'd be like, what? Like, <laughs> and I think, it, you know, we talked to some people who were like, yeah, I had it in my old company. I'd love to have it here. Um, cause I think people do recognize the, the benefits associated with them. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's, uh, it, it is something that is hard to go back from. How did you kind of land on this um, space and kind of coming, like landing on something that is so important to people? Yeah, so I, I would say through like gross failure. Um, and, and just so, you know, um, I'll go back. So I was a Navy SEAL most of my adult life and uh, exited the military um, like late 2018. Wanted to be an entrepreneur, wanted to be in the tech space. So I uh, partnered up with my co-founder, we, we were kind of doing some like private cloud contracting stuff. And we're like, Hey, we want to, we want to really, you know, launch something, you know, uh, that helps developers out. So, so we, we set off on this dubious task of, uh, we're like, Hey, let's build a Heroku competitor. We, we were like, Hey, Heroku hasn't been improved in so long. Like it's super expensive. The user experience isn't that great compared to what it could be. And so, so we built that thing and we launched that thing and, you know, as first time founders, like not knowing a lot of things, um, it, the market was like, it was saturated. And like, even though our product was was quite good, and people liked it, um, we could not remotely compete with the the scale or the, the economies of scale that like, not only Heroku, but DigitalOcean, like launched an app platform too, like literally the same time. And so that was, frankly, it was a, it was dumb, like, we shouldn't have done that. Like, I look at I can say that now, like, um, we didn't have the product wasn't so much better that you were going, we were going to like, you know, usurp Heroku or like even like take up a huge market niche. So, um, we kind of had some like dark times realizing that this is like mid 2021. And, um, you know, we had some money, we had a team, we had like, you know, uh, our software was capable and we used our network to be like, Hey, you know, maybe there's other people or you could repackage this in a useful way. And, and basically people are saying like, Hey, I, my developers need to spin up environments all the time. Like, I don't want, I don't want to host on your platform, but I would love to have a temporary testing environment. And so that basically set us on this path. And, and we really had the, the nexus of the idea. We really had to do a lot of product work to transition out of that, but the core was kind of there. And um, yeah, so we just kept iterating obviously on it. And then, um, I know I'm going a little deep here, but, uh, we got a lot of feedback that people wanted like a really tight integrations with GitHub actions. So we publish a reusable workflow that 
So people, the, the big thing is like a lot of people put a lot of time in their builds and they're customized. And so a general build solution uh, might not be, uh, or it doesn't fit for a lot of folks, particularly kind of like more advanced teams. And so, um, and I go back to like the Spotify situation, they, um, gosh, they, they had tried another solution, another third party solution, but the build was proprietary. Uh, I mean, I say proprietary, it was, it wasn't accessible. It was on like, uh, you know, the company's infrastructure. So we plug directly into GitHub Actions. So they have complete control and visibility. We're just a step in a process they've already set up. Um, yeah. So we failed in our first startup. We pivoted out of that. And then fortunately we had, we had enough, enough left, if you will, in the tank, both, both mentally, emotionally, and <laughs> resource wise, yeah. which is a whole nother level to it, to, uh, to keep yeah. going. And then, and find like a niche that really needed to be filled um, and provide value to folks. Yeah, I think that's, um, it, it often doesn't start out, right? As like the the one, cause you kind of have to start somewhere and unless you have like this idea you're just pulled to because everyone needs it. Yeah. It's like often in a way, that's the best way to do it. Oh, I don't know if it's the best way, but like, a lot of people do it, right? Where it's like you start building something and like people are like, eh, it's okay. And then, but they're like, but yeah, I really want this other thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's... And yeah, as you yeah. said, it's like if you've got the enough left in the tank in all, on all fronts to actually go after it, there's often the best, the best way. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of startup stories that are kind of like that. You have kind of the right... Um, you're moving in the right direction, but it's not quite right. And that's that critical, like early feedback and being willing to like having the humility to take that, I think is really important because it's really easy to get emotionally attached to your idea, right? It's like, Hey, this is your idea. This is your baby. And, um, it can be pretty easy to like reject feedback that you don't, <laughs> they don't like to hear. Right. Like, um, like <laughs> we, in the, uh, you know, so I, I mentioned that I was a, a seal. And so like, one of the things like one of the things we would say is like, you know, you'd be planning an operation. Right. And, you know, you're like, oh, this is going to be this. I got this perfect plan. I've been working on it. And like someone walks up who like hasn't like they just haven't been there, haven't been doing the work. And they're like, oh, why don't you just do this? And and like it's obviously better. And then be like, no, no, like I want to defend my idea. Right. But it's like we, we call it like don't don't be a bitch to your emotions. It's like you, you have to be like shit. Yes. I, I just spent like a day on this plan, but you're right. Like you walked up and, and saw like you had a different perspective and you're like, you're right, you know, and I'm wrong. And I have to like own that and like <laughs> to, yeah. and do that. But you know, if you want to have a high performing organization, you have to operate like that. You've got to like, you know, you can't get, can't get your feelings hurt over when, when there's obviously like better such, such plans out there or, or ways to do things. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's like more about like what you, you and your co-founder built in terms of like how you work together and, and kind of what you'd learned and, and kind of being nimble. And probably that was the, the valuable part of what you did in that time and probably will still be right. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, Ufizi is like right now, like this is, this is the area, but like yeah. there might be like things that you kind of opportunities that come up or like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, we try to stay malleable. I mean, like we can't find anyone who thinks that the concept of ephemeral environments is like not like really not valuable. I mean, it, it comes down to, and I'll 
So we ran a survey at the end of the year uh, last year, uh, like a preview environments to put out a report on like the state of preview environments. And we were fortunate to have, um, I don't know if you know the open source initiative, but it's, it's a nonprofit that, that basically like outlines um, a lot of the, the guidance around like what is open source and the licensing and that type of thing. And they sort of uh, corral all that. But anyways, there's some really good folks over there that, they, they helped us on the survey basically so we could get a, a good audience uh, to give us, you know, uh, feedback. But like 80% of the respondents said that they think, you know, preview or ephemeral environments are valuable. Where, where, it gets, where it gets tricky is it's a really, it's a hard problem because of so much, it's everything's dynamic, right? It's like, hey, every new environment, it's like, okay, new networking, new URL, um, what about my data? Like, how am I going to log in? Like, these are hard problems that have frankly prevented a lot of people from like moving to a firm. Like it's not that people don't think it's valuable. It's, it's the friction of like transitioning. And of course that we're coming in to help try to lower the friction, um, you know, down to a level where it's not too difficult for teams to, to onboard it and, and uh, get rolling. Yeah. And actually like on that, like it's one of those things where I felt like everyone, if you're not doing it, you know, you should be doing it, but, how do you create that kind of like now, like, because it's, it's, it seems like it's one of those things that's easy to just be like, yeah, we, we know we should do this, but like, we're really busy. Not right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like you're touching on something that I think is, um, it's like, you know, we're moving along. We're getting along. We, we have a test environment. Like it's good. Like, how do you, how do you get to the pain point? I think, um, it, it does come down to like, you know, the, the teams who are really kind of like the most aggressive, like, and I say that because there's a lot of, again, these open source projects are like, they're trying to like, kind of like take down, or like take over a market that's frankly like already established. And they're like, yeah, I'll do anything for like a, a competitive advantage to help me out here. Um, and then, and then you like, I go, I go back to like the backstage thing. It's like, there's really like a huge pressure cooker on those folks to, to release, I mean, again, I, like, I mean, like Netflix, American Airlines, like Siemens, like all these big companies use that. And they, of course, they're like, hey, we want this all to get better. There's, it, it, the spotlight is all on this team to make that happen. Right. And so um, I think it's when those kind of existential pressures come in, um, particularly if, you know, if teams have like, unfortunately, had to do with layoffs too. Like, you know, that CP, CTO, the VP of engineering, whoever it is, is going to be expected to continue to produce even though they have, frankly, like less resources like available to them. Mm. So it sounds kind of like you're tying the challenges that they're having, like the real challenges around, you know, as you said, I think in the beginning, like doing more with less. And yeah, yeah. I, I think that's sort of like of the existence. existential pressure, yeah. right? Of like improving and then, and then like those kind of like daily reminders of, um, you know, I, I'm sitting around like, uh, or, or my engineers are sitting around like unable to test something because they don't have an environment available to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it's 2023, like that shouldn't be the case. Right. Like, um, but I think t- teams are still really, really struggling with this. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. That is a, I, I think it's something that is very, probably has a lot of potential to really like stir up emotions with people. And uh, like, I think it's something like yeah. Retool have done really well. I don't know if you've seen Retool, but like when you go to the homepage, it's like stop. I can't remember the exact wording, but it's all like stop faffing around with like different like 
data and wrangling stuff and doing annoying like tables and they really like play on this emotion and like yes you know that struggle and it seems like you probably have a lot of potential there to yeah yeah i mean we, we engineers sitting around not doing anything for sure well you know you should always be like empowering your people investing in your people right that's like i go back to like my you know in special forces like one of the core tenets is like hey people over hardware right of course that translates to like well i think the agile manifesto says the same thing but it's you know um if you're not giving your people the tools they need, like you, you're not actualizing your potential, right? Like, and so I think there's a lot of room for improvements, um, performance improvements, like, again, going back to like, uh, how, how you measure those of release frequency, development velocity. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of room there when you, when you give the people the, <laughs> give them the tools they need, right. Give them their environments, like make it easy. Um, d- don't have these like sort of h- hurdles or roadblocks, um, that, that are, you know, going to be dragging your organization down. Yeah, definitely. I, Josh, I think that's all we've got time for. Okay. Um, we've started doing a, a TLDR, um, and, uh, what, what would be your kind of key takeaways for other dev tool founders to, uh, take away from this conversation? Yeah. So I would, um, I would say like, don't be afraid to uh, approach the open source community if you've got a new tool that can help them out. You know, it's, uh, they really are quite approachable. Um, and, you know, they all work on GitHub and and you can reach them there. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out. And, and again, like, don't do it as like a spammy thing. Do it as a, hey, I, I'm going to provide value to your, um, to your project and like do the work, like, you know, uh, do the work for them. It's not like, Hey, I'm going to throw this thing and like, you can think about using it. Um, you know, I got a big believer in, uh, you've got to provide value really before you can like extract value. And so, um, don't be afraid to do things that don't scale early, um, to get the things you need to scale. So that would probably be my biggest takeaway for other kind of founders and, and folks trying to scale dev tools. Yeah. That's a really, really awesome insight. Um, and where can people learn more about, about yourself and about Ufizi? Yeah, please, please just come to our homepage, ufizi.com. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got our case studies on there where you can kind of dig deep. And then also, um, you can find the open source projects we're supporting where of course you can just go to those repos and, and see there's a Ufizi environment for every pull request running on those. And, uh, you can see how it's set up. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining Josh and thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. I really appreciate you having me. 